welcome to this edition of Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Well, I have a special show for you today on Labor Day. It's basically a back-to-school special. Scotty Young and Aaron Conley join me to talk about their upcoming comic, Bully Wars. It's a five-part miniseries coming out this Wednesday, New Comic Book Day, September 5th. The book is being published through Image Comics, and it is an all-ages comic book. Both kids and adults will enjoy this story about bullies as we join Spencer on his first day of high school and meet two other bullies, Rufus and Hawk. I also discuss with Scotty and Aaron the other key players in the book and the other key players in making the comic book. Colorist Jean-Francois Bellou and letterer Nate Picos. Why they were selected to work on the book with the team and what unique contributions they make to the story. Scotty and Aaron also talk about bullies. Were they bullied in school? How are the kids different in middle school versus high school? And who is the biggest bully in comic books? Which character is it? The answer may surprise you. In our fun question segment, Scotty and Aaron talk about what they do for rest and relaxation. And many of you who are artists and writers can appreciate what they do. And also, what was their favorite birthday? That was a surprise. I hope you enjoy this special back-to-school episode today and look forward to the next one coming up on Thursday. But now let's get to Scotty and Aaron and their latest Bully Wars, here now on Creator Talks. Scotty, welcome to Creator Talks. Oh, thanks for having me, man. And welcome, Aaron. Thank you for having me. Now, give me your lunch money. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining me to talk about your upcoming comic, Through Image, Bully Wars. It has a very special release date, by the way, September 5th, which you did in honor of my birthday. How'd you know? Thanks. We're just really intuitive, you know? We just really have our finger on the pulse of all birthdays, and uh, we really like you. I used to think the coolest thing on my birthday was coincide with Labor Day. I was off work or off school, you know, but now it's even cooler. It's new comic book day. Oh, yeah, that's great. As busy as you both are, do you get a chance to go to a local comic shop near you and check out new comics? It's funny because I was going to mention earlier that up until working on Bully Wars, I was actually working at a comic shop locally here in town, and I was working there part-time and drawing comics. So when you asked me if I listened to your podcast, I was like, I don't listen to any comics podcast because at that point in my di- in my life, I was like working at a comic shop and drawing <laughs> comics all the other days. So like when it went to like listening to podcasts, it was either just science or like crime stuff, you know? No, you probably had enough about comics at that point. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. <laughs> How was it working in a comic shop? What'd you think? And any uh, interesting experiences while you were working there? Yeah, I mean, I've been working at a comic shop for almost before Bully Wars for almost about 10 years. Uh, it's retail, you know, it can be fun at times. It can be not so fun at other times. Yeah. (laughs) It's definitely better at home drawing comics. Any difficult customers? Anybody have any bizarre requests or something that was just off the wall that you had no idea how to answer? No, you know, when you work at a comic shop, you just hear all the same requests. (laughs) Such as? You just have people that want to tell you about how their mom threw away their comic books. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, their mom threw away their comic books. We have like expensive issues on the shelf, and somebody w- always wants to come up and tell you how they. I used to have that issue. 
I had that issue right there. <laughs> or old dudes who love to come in and be like, I remember when these were 25 cents. <laughs> hey, I'm that old dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's when I started when they were 25 cents. <laughs> it's fine. You know, that's it. Just after a while, you're just like, yep, yep, yep. We've heard it. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, I hear the same thing when I'm in a comic shop, like looking around, buying my stuff. I hear the same conversations. Like, I have some books. Are these worth anything? And she's like, mm-hmm. Unless it's prior to 1970, we really can't do a whole lot for you. But right, exactly. I'm glad I'm not one of those people that say, I used to have these. I still do. I kept them. So my mom did not throw out my comic books. Thanks, mom. <laughs> but then, of course, let me back it up with the fact that, you know, there were times when you could turn somebody on to something new and it was just, it was a blast. Oh, that's got to be the best. Well, I hope, speaking of turning someone on to something new, I hope that everyone goes to their local comic shop to pick up a copy of Bully Wars because it's fun. It's all ages. It's suitable for kids and adults. And we don't see a whole lot of that. There are books like that, of course, targeted to kids and adults, but not a whole lot. And in some shops, it's hard to find them. Now, in my local shop, there's a section dedicated to the kids. There's a little chair for them. There's a place for them to color. And the shop owners will be like, oh, what do you like? Come on over here. Let me show you this. It's hard to find those, so kudos on getting this together and having another nice all-ages friendly book. Yeah, thank you. I, it was really a it was really a challenge that Aaron and I were kind of excited to take on. And I mean, once we started kicking the idea back and forth, and we found our kind of happy place, we were excited to get it out in the world and and really just make a fun, funny comic that really anybody could read. I, I think so, for so long the term "all ages" really meant uh, kitty. Like mm-hmm. just for kids, and we really love. We're like we, we haven't. I can speak for both of us when we we have not really played down to anybody. We've really just kind of tried to make ourselves laugh a bunch, <laughs> and and uh, and hopefully that appeals to everybody, all of actually all ages, you know. Well, just to give everyone a taste of this, Bully Wars opens on the first day of high school for Spencer, and we're joining him as he leaves his home for Rottenville High. With a town like that name, I'd move. You know, right there is a bad sign, which reminded me that, you know, we all start over as freshmen many times throughout our life. It's not just high school and college, that first day on the new job, learning to be a parent. You know, you're always first at something, first freshman year or something. We know a bit about Spencer. He's kind of a, I guess, a geeky looking kid. Please share with the listeners who the main characters are, especially Rufus and Hawk, and why it's important to remember there's always a bigger bully. The way that I see it, and I think as we get past issue one, you know, there's really a core four as far as the main characters go, and that, uh, you know, Rufus and Spencer, and then Edith and Ernie, um, which sometimes Edith and Ernie feel like a character, you know, they're twins, so in some ways sometimes they feel like one character that bounce off each other a lot, but I think, you know, I guess if I was going to have to say who the main characters are, it's Spencer and Rufus, and and. Weirdly enough, in a I think a, a turn that we usually don't do, I I think we just thought it was interesting to show the weird gray area that sometimes life really lies in, and not I mean we have a lot of black and white in it where it's like these bullies are very very straight up cliche bullies, but with Rufus we really wanted to try to show like got this kid he's been a bully for a long time and he wants to be a bigger bully, but he's gonna be learning a few things throughout this 
the, the story. And then you have Spencer, who on the other hand is going through what you just said, which is he's preparing himself for another first. And the things that he's done over the years is keep learning from that. And, you know, he comes prepared on the first day of school with maybe, you know, somewhat of a plan to see if he can't combat the cliche freshman year, first day of school or freshman year where he gets bullied a lot. So Spencer and Rufus are probably our two main characters. Wouldn't you agree, Aaron? Yeah. And well, and Rufus is just like super fun to draw. So (laughs) both of those guys are super fun to draw. So yeah, those are definitely the main characters. Hawk fills that role of what we are normally used to seeing, I think, in your your typical kind of school story, which is, you know, whether comic strips or comic books or whatever, which is he's just a downright bully. There's probably not going to be a lot of dimension to him. I think that's the kind of the interesting thing that we're doing with this, you know, aside from just uh, trying to make everybody laugh, is show the range of students from the cliche cookie cutter bully to the gray area. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm not as bad as as I think that I am. And then on the other side of the line, you've got the geeks or the nerds or the bullied kids who at the same time, once they start feeling a little bit of power, they see that it might be a little tempting to cross over into a little bit of a accidentally fall into a bully role, you know? So I think what we're doing alongside of making people laugh is just showing kind of the spectrum of what it's like to just kind of go through school, you know? Something else people are going to really be surprised about and like about the book is we're going to see things from Rufus's point of view. He's not a one-dimensional character for sure. And you're also going to see some things about Spencer and Rufus in the first issue that's going to surprise a lot of people, especially by the end, which I did not see coming. So, (laughs) yeah, it was a nice surprise. It takes a couple of left-hand turns that you say, oh, I know how this goes. No, you don't. No, it's very different. Well, it's good to hear me and Aaron. You know, Aaron and I have been kind of chipping away at this for a while. Aaron had mentioned you know, aside from, from our wives and maybe a few close friends, we're just now starting to get feedback. So we're so far ahead of this first issue now. It's awesome to hear that, that there are some genuine surprises. I feel like, oh, cool, we did it. Yeah, I showed a few people early on pages here and there, and that were moments where people were like, wow, this looks really great. But, you know, you don't know if you're still telling quite the story or the reveals or the beats that, you know, you want to hit with Scotty's story, you know, so you were, I tend to worry about everything when it comes to my art, but that's definitely one of the things I worry about as well, you know? Oh, uh, and, and that, uh, that's something I'll say. It's funny. It's good timing today too, because we just got the lettering proof from issue three and there's an opening scene there and I'm not going to spoil that, but I wrote the script forever ago. Aaron's, you know, just drawn it. The colors came in, letters came in. I was actually laughing out loud at the opening scene because as I like would check, art i often wouldn't check it against the script i would just kind of remember where i was going with the script and was like oh aaron did some really cool drawings again and he's nailed it and it's whatever but then when i saw the words with it and there's one scene in particular where hawk is doing a certain motion and i was dying laughing so it's like (laughs) like those kind of reveals and those turns and those character moments are always so good and i think he nailed it in the first issue so hard scotty you said you both had started working on this a while back and wasn't it like i don't know 2010 you were yep. actually drawing some of the pages in a more, I guess, decompressed story version. So what led to its eventual release now? Was maybe having kids part of it and you felt it should be more of a priority now? It was really interesting. Yeah, I had just had my son, my oldest son, around the time that I started kind of cooking this up. And then, yeah, 2010, my son was one. So it really wasn't motivated by kids yet. It really was just 
if, if I'm being honest, it really came from the fact that at the time Scholastic, their graphics line was kicking off and Bone was there and Kazu's books were there and Raina had her first book out. And, and so I was like, oh, that seems like a really cool place to go try to get a graphic novel off the ground. It was one of those cases where I tried to come up with something that fit. I tried to put the egg before the chicken in a way, cart before the horse or whatever, where I was like, okay, well, it's scholastic and it's graphics and that's going to be school and whatever. So I was a very intentional with trying to come up with an idea and did and kind of you know mapped it all out and wrote it as more of a graphic novel. But for whatever reason, I don't know. I don't know what it was. It just wasn't feeling. It wasn't clicking. And at the time, it was way too heavy. Like it, at times, I almost felt like I was too mean in it, and then the, and the bullies were too bully. I don't know. There, there was too much of something. Like I wasn't. I wasn't as nuanced at storytelling yet. So there was a lot of things that weren't working. So I really just put it away at the time, and and it kind of became part of tons of other projects in a folder where you know one day you'll go back to it. And it wasn't until Aaron and I. You know, years later, obviously, Aaron and I decided to do a project together. We started building up like this, you know, kind of small town, kids on bike, you know, monster story. And we're really excited about it. And then one weekend, Stranger Things came out and I shotgunned it and called Aaron. I think that following Monday and was like, well, I don't think we could do that book. <laughs> yeah, and it, that, that was supposed to be all ages, too, though. Weren't we going to yeah. sort of all ages that book as well? Yep, that we really, one of the goals that we had from the beginning was we really wanted to make it all ages. We really wanted to try to take on that challenge of getting in a comic book shop, serving a demographic that I think sometimes, I don't want to say is underserved, but they serve such a specific thing all the time. It's very cartoon, it's very kiddish, or it's very young. And we wanted to try to find some sort of balance there, and, and mostly because that's what we enjoy. Not because we're trying to check any boxes, more just like, well, we like making this kind of stuff and let's see if we can't make it safe for everybody to read. We just figured like, if we push forward with this, like everybody likes Stranger Things so much, including us, that had we moved forward with it, we felt like we were going to be one of a, probably about 25 projects that were going to basically feel like that. Because, you know, anytime something that big happens, all of a sudden it's in the zeitgeist and everybody's kind of you know, spinning those wheels and announced dark horses, like doing their whole line of stranger things. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So we got a little frustrated and a little down. And then, and then I just like looked in my folder to see like, is there anything else? And I mean, bully wars at first, I was like, well, God, you know, like I've had this sitting here for a long time and Aaron has such a cool, exaggerated, funky style. I mean, he would really take this and make it cool. And um, so I just brought the idea up to him uh, and I'll let him tell you the rest of that. Once I brought up the idea of possibly doing Bully Wars, that um, was kind of in his court. At that point, Scotty and I had worked together on Rocket and Groot, which was just a blast. We had been talking for almost a year about this other project that I was pretty hyped about. We watched Stranger Things over the weekend. And we were just like, what? <laughs> but, no way. Because Stranger Things, I think, like kind of seeped out really quickly. It just like came out there. There wasn't a lot of pre. Yeah, there, there was no hype. It just happened. It just... Yeah, and everybody was talking about it, and we watched it, and I was just like, "Yep, this is pretty similar." And I was thinking the whole time watching, I'm like, "Man, I bet you Scotty's not going to want to work on that thing now." <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, we had already been talking about working on something, you know. 
I had sort of set my gears in motion that we were going to like do this thing. And then Scotty said, oh, man, we talked and we were like, yeah, I mean, it's true. And then we just were like, I think a day or two went by where we were just like, well, let's just think. I think he sent me the idea over Facebook or something for Bully Wars. It was less supernatural, but it still was going to be like fun kids in a neighborhood doing wacky things. I was like, yeah, let's just do this. This is absolutely. But once he pitched me that idea, I was like, oh, this is good. This is different enough. Once we landed on that, the initial idea I had that I put away I realized, oh, it, it was going to take me teaming up with somebody like Aaron to fill in that part that was missing for me. And then once he started doing the first few designs, they did this really great image right out of the gate. The early version of Rufus, an early version of Spencer, and tentacles coming out of a toilet. It was just awesome. And so right away, I was like, okay, my head's in this game. And then it was just really just a matter of us talking about the balance between you know, not making it too mean-spirited and making sure that, that we really had characters that people care about. And most importantly, that we get people to care about Rufus, which, you know, in a lot of stories about bullies, you know, we're not supposed to ever care about them, you know. Um, and, you know, our goal here is to make you want Rufus to change, you know, while you're laughing at all the hijinks that are happening. Well, I'm curious. You're both writers and artists. And for Bully Wars, you've split up the duties. One of you's writing, one of you's the artist. But there's no clear delineation, I would think, just by the way you came together on this book and how you collaborate. Is it really that distinct or is there a lot of crossover with the writing? Well, I'm definitely hands off on the art completely, you know, even at the beginning of the design stages. Um, I think maybe I showed him the first couple sketches that I had done years ago just to show him where my head was, but also said, you do not need to follow this. It was just showing like where my head was. I don't think you even showed me that until after I had already drawn the... Yeah, yeah, that might be right. Tentacle thing. So at that point, I already had like, after the tentacle toilet image, I was like, I got a good idea how I can take this book. I've really made it a point, almost all the stuff that I've been just the writer on, and this and and the other image book I'm working on right now, Middle West, is, is kind of the same way where... I don't want them to feel because that's what I've been doing for the last 17 years that I'm going to be hovering over them, micromanaging every line or every panel. I think I'm going to tell you, like, I'm past a few things in the first issue. And I think first issues are always difficult for everybody because you're just trying to find it. Um, But past that, I am seriously almost every email just like, looks amazing. This is amazing. I really let Aaron kind of steer the boat as far as color notes go with John because I, you know, Aaron knows better what he wants inside of his lines than I do. So yeah, I'm really trying to focus on the story and really let Aaron have as much fun as he wants over on that side of things. I don't even think that you said that much about the first issue, to be honest. No, I think none of it was art based. I think the only thing that we did at the beginning was just like, uh, we were trying to work with Nate, our letterer, and just figure out, you know, yeah, how to yeah, yeah. space everything. But nothing about, like, the actual construction of art. Because you've just nailed it. That's the thing is, like, I fell in love with Aaron's work so quickly uh, when I picked up Saber Sue Swordsman. So if I, like, if we're going to do this, I'm already in. So there's not really anything that I need to go in and do. Um, it's all about what he's doing, you know. Same thing when we did Rocket. It was just like, oh, nope, every page is exactly what Aaron wants, and I love it. Scotty is an artist, too. So at first, some of the original designs I was sending over, Scotty was like, mm, these are looking a little too old. Right. But that actually really worked out in the end because when I started like making the characters a little younger, I started going with more exaggerated features 
and working more on distinguishing each character is like really its own completely different thing. With Scotty just giving that little hint, because he's a great artist himself, but with that little hint of just you need to make these look a little younger, for some reason it just opened up a whole new world of how to like design these characters. Oh yeah, and the facial expressions on the characters are great. I mean, that's <laughs> some of the best team in the book and the product logos as you have plastered all over the place that little little homages to products from back in that day back i guess like has the feel of the 80s and 90s but we kind of know what you're hinting at and i think the adults will get a good kick out of that too you like the facial expressions in issue one like there's some stuff in issue three that just has me rolling it's amazing my bud matt recently told me that will elder from mad magazine used to call it a uh, chicken fat He's like, there's a lot of good chicken fat in these comics, Aaron. I was like, yeah, I like that. That's great. And something else I want to mention, too, and you've already brought them up, is, you know, tip of the hat to your fellow collaborators, Jean-Francois Baudot. And that's that's the extent of my French. That's it. Five years. That's all I got. (laughs) And, And Nate and the letterer. And the colors just really pop and make it really fun add much more of a sense of joy to this story it's not too heavy it's not too too mean and that really helps make it fun were they your choice of collaborators did you say yes i want jean and i want nate uh, well for me i've been working with jean for over 12 years he's colored just about everything i've done since we met and so for me unless he says no he is always the person i'm going to work with uh, on the next project when i started writing projects and collaborating with with artists i always would say hey jean's great do not feel like you have to use him but he's available if you want him aaron had worked with him on rocket raccoon it looked amazing so aaron correct me if I'm wrong he's colored some other covers and stuff for you here and there right i was paying a lot of attention to john when he was coloring your stuff when you were actually drawing rocket like man these colors are the bomb Cause I had had some back and forth with colorists a lot where dudes like really weren't understanding my work. I was getting some strange stuff back. Cause sometimes people think that they just need to leave my work open and that doesn't work either. Like kind of flat colors. I was looking at John's stuff on rocket with Scotty and I was like, man, I bet this guy would like really understand how to color my stuff. And then, like you said, yeah, we worked on rocket and, after he colored my stuff on Rocket, he was my like go-to colorist whenever I needed a couple pages, some pages somewhere, or a cover somewhere. And if he was available, I was like, I mean, there are a couple times when the company wasn't paying enough for a cover or whatever, and I paid John like out of my pocket because right. I wanted him so bad. He's outstanding. One of my favorite things about John is not only is he one of the most talented colors of his, but there's he doesn't have a single drop of ego in him. So if a page comes back and you want a thing changed here or there, it's never really like, well, this is my, you know, it's, it's always like, cool, be right back. The working relationship, he's so professional. And then when you go to Nate Picos, he has been a, a huge professional in this business for a long time. And the first time I had worked with him was on I Hate Fairyland. And the letters in I Hate Fairyland were as much of a character in that book than my character characters were. Um, he played such a huge role in the visual style of that book just through his lettering design. I cannot speak to how uh, amazingly professional that guy is. 
So again, to anybody I work with, uh, you know, when, when I went to Aaron, I said, hey, I use Nate. He's up for it. If you're cool, if you don't, you know, again, I'm, I'm up for a discussion. But these guys are just really super talented, super professional. And, and it's, it's kind of a no brainer if they're available and open to it. Yeah, it all looks great. It all comes together so well. I can see why you made those choices and stick with them. Now, since it's an E-rated book for everyone, unlike my podcast when I have an E-rating, it's not. Uh, just to make that clear. Now, do you have special promotions planned to help get the word out that besides yours truly here talking to, to help get the word out that this is for everyone, that a lot of folks, adults, kids are going to enjoy this? Image printed us up some really cool inserts, uh, like comic-sized, really beautiful inserts. And Carrie, our designer up at Image, really put together a beautiful kind of, you know, school sketch line notebook paper themed promotional flyer to give to shops to be able to put in boxes and things like that. And then, you know, we're just kind of like guerrilla style going out to podcasts like this and doing a lot of interviews and on the ground at conventions and at shops, just really kind of putting the word out there and, and really hoping that the retailers, which are, are our partners, right, once they get it, we'll put the word out as well, you know. Social media as well, you know. Facebook, Instagram. Now, in terms of the cons, are you planning to be at any in the near future, such as Baltimore, where they have a kids' corner? I can't speak for Aaron. I won't be at Baltimore this year. I'll be in Hawaii next week at a con, amazing con there. Um, and then I'm going to be over in Italy in October. So I'm going to be spreading the, some Bully Wars loves over there and, and talking to my publisher over there. If we want to get this to everyone all over the world, uh, I'll be plugging us in with my Italian publisher there. And then I don't know where, Aaron, where are you going to be at this year, Aaron? I mean, if they invite me to Baltimore, I'll go. You know, um, oh, I'm going to do not this year. I don't think I'm doing any cons this year. But next year, I'm going to be at ECC and Heroes and I don't know what else. Who knows? Once Bully Wars comes out, you know, you'll get invites all over the place. You know, just depending on what I can fit into the schedule, we do want to do a second arc of Bully Wars. We just got sales numbers for the first issue, and we were both over the freaking moon uh, with how retailers have really come out to support, you know, an all-ages book like this. So you know, we knew it was a challenge. We knew it was a uphill, an uphill walk for us. But man, retailers have really put a smile on our faces with how much they really came out and supported. We, we can't thank retailers enough. That is great news to hear. I have a question for you. Outside of the comic, were you bullied in school at all, ever? I wasn't really that much when I was young, in school at least. <laughs> Um, you know, there's other things in life where, you know, not maybe not so pleasant, but school for me, at least in elementary school and middle school, were pretty even. Um, high school got a little different. We got asked an interesting question in another interview. Like, Rufus has bullied them forever, but it also seems like Spencer and them, like, they still kind of are around him. They still hang around him a little bit. Like, they don't completely try to avoid him. And, and it's funny, I didn't think about it consciously while we were making this book, but that seems to be the way it really is a way more often. Like, you know, you're not really as secluded and divided from the people who end up picking on you as the movies and TV shows tend to show it because you are in school and you're in class. And sometimes you have to do projects with people like this and you have to do, you know, there's a weird interaction that is kind of forced upon you, but there was times through high school, I was always really tall and really skinny and so, you know, around the time where everybody else started getting all bulked up and footballed out, you know, and I was the tall, skinny skater kid, but still kind of friends with them, quote unquote friends. You know, you'd have those moments where you somebody'd run by in the in the hall and just like 
freaking haul off and hit you in the chest and you got to kind of try to play it off like, yeah, that didn't hurt. That's, I'm all good. And, and again, you look back at the time, I don't know that I categorized it as bullying, but if I look back now, I'm like, yeah, that was a weird kind of like, there was always these weird situations where somebody's trying to assert the dominance over whoever or make themselves feel better by making somebody else feel a little smaller. Um, and again, I don't think that bullying is always just as clean cut as like, I'm the big bad and I'm going to pick on you. Sometimes it's it's a little bit more gray and, and it can't, you know, it kind of lives in that weird area sometimes. But um, I don't know. What about you, Aaron? No, I was bullied like a little bit in middle school, but middle school is just like mean times. I think kids are just genuinely mean then. Once I got to high school, though, I was okay. I didn't, you know, I wasn't a cool kid. I was still kind of a nerd, but I wasn't ever really bullied. I think. I think kids just like asked me to like draw pictures for them. So once they got the pictures drawn, they'd be like, "Don't pick on that guy. We need him sometimes." You know? <laughs> no, Aaron, Aaron, you make a good point in that. You know, I, I look back and think like I should have probably been bullied a lot more because I was, you know, again fell into the kind of nerdy skater. And this was like this, these were the years before X Games existed, so skaters were still not cool yet. <laughs> But I was the drawer, so it was like you got to kind of weave in and out and exist between the lines of all the clicks, um, because everybody was always kind of into what you did, no matter what click they landed in. You know. And I went to a magnet high school too, so I only spent half of my day, if that, like around like regular high school kids. Uh, the rest I was around like you know other like artsy kids. I don't remember any of those kids definitely didn't pick on me. They were you know. <laughs> I have the same recollections. Like, uh, middle school kids could be kind of cruel. I don't know if they were just testing out new words that they learned, uh, you know, uh, expressing right. dominance. High school was cool. High school, everybody, I mean, I wasn't, like, a cool guy, but I wasn't necessarily a nerd. But everybody was cool with everybody else. You know, everybody had their place. Everybody had their thing. And no one really picked on you. Right. Yeah, I mean, but, I mean, I saw it happen mm-hmm. to kids. Sure. I've read a lot about like the kind of bullying and stuff that goes on nowadays, you know, and it's definitely something that like I can feel genuinely in like my nerd heart for right. sure. Sure, for sure. In your opinion, and this is more of a fun question, who is the biggest, baddest bully in all of comics? And by that I mean a character, not a person, unless you want to go there. I'm not gonna stop you, but in terms of character. Batman, right? <laughs> Like, Batman's a super, super, really, really rich middle-aged white dude that, like, swings around a city and beats up poor people. <laughs> like, I think, I, think, I think Batman's a big bully. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> I mean, I'm joking a little bit, but, but if you look at the math, right? I thought about like, it that way. If you look at the I'm, math, you're kind of like, well, that's, that's a, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to put Thanos in that category as the bully. Oh, I don't know. Scotty's kind of right. Thanos is too easy. <laughs> yeah, because Thanos is like, he's more like, he, he'd he be the coach role in our book, right? Like, he's just through and through evil. Yeah. <laughs> he's like on a whole nother level. Who's the biggest bully in comics? Wasn't, like sure Guy, wasn't Guy Gardner like the biggest bully in comics for a while? Who was? Yeah. Guy Gardner. Yeah, I, I like where we're going because I think the easy answer is just to go pick villains. But it's like, I don't know, the Punisher's kind of a bully, right? Yeah. I don't know. They're probably all bullies, right? <laughs> to some extent. 
they're all people that are way, 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 way stronger than everybody else, and they're just constantly kicking everybody's butt. <laughs> yeah. Except Captain America. He doesn't like bullies. This is a That's deep true. podcast. We're really getting to the root of it. I know it's been too deep. I'm probably going to get fired from some other jobs for some of these answers. <laughs> I'll lighten it up. I'll lighten up. I'll go to the, the fun questions I ask all my guests. This way, these won't get you in trouble unless you get yourself in trouble, but people don't. <laughs> Easy question. Uh, for each of you, Scotty, we'll start with you. What do you like to do for rest and relaxation when you're not, when you have time to rest and relax and you're not working on comics? Lately, since we moved to Kansas City a couple months ago, I live about three minutes from Jason Aaron and a bunch of our other friends. And so um, as soon as we get done making comics, we go to the pool and we have, have adult beverages while our children act like fools and um, usually talk about comics or talk about movies or talk about music. And then by the end of the night, we're probably dancing and eating some pizza. So when I'm done with the day, it's nice just to pour a drink and hang out with friends. Making comics is a lonely job. It's you in a room inside your head all day. Um, so for me, I want to go be around my people and just feel that love and recharge that battery and get ready to do it again the next day. How about you, Aaron? I don't have a life outside of comics right now. <laughs> <laughs> I will draw Bully Wars six days a week, eight hours a day. So That's why I jumped over the line because I want to go to the pool. I, I need to stop drawing. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm kidding. I have a little bit of time and I do about the same thing. I don't have kids, but... I definitely get together with friends. I have a good group of friends here in town, and I'm either hanging with them or watching some like weird uh, like horror movie on Amazon Prime or something. But uh, yeah, I, I like to be around people, strangely enough. I know sometimes you need a lot of artistic people who don't like to be around people, but I generally like to get out and just be like, what's up? And then my friends see me and they're like, what have you been doing all week, man? And I'm like, oh, you know, just drawing tiny people on paper. <laughs> Aaron and I get along good. I think we're both pretty extroverted when it comes to that. Like, we're just outgoing, energetic people. Yeah, I definitely like to get out and be around people and get away from the drawing desk for real. And luckily, I have a door that I can shut. And when it's time to work, it's time to work. When it's time to not, that door is shut. Yeah, you got to have that. Need that space. Need that time. Treat it like an office job. This is my time. <laughs> Now, thinking back to a birthday stands out in your mind. Why was it special? What was it about that birthday? I'm going to go with my most recent birthday. I just turned 40 last March, and my wife took me to the airport that morning. Um, I did not know where I was going. I got on two planes at two different airports with soundproof headphones on with my head down and did not know where I was going until I got to the airport I landed at and saw the gift shop, which was gator themed and, and Bayou themed. And then realized that um, I had never been to New Orleans and she just flew me to New Orleans. And we got there, checked into our Airbnb, had a couple drinks, then went to our first dinner reservation. And as we're sitting there waiting on our table, Jason Aaron and his wife and four of our other best friends from here in town had all flown there as well and to surprise me. So we had a weekend of debauchery in New Orleans, uh, which was amazing with my uh, closest circle of friends and my wife. So it was really, it was great. It was so, so, uh, so cool. That is really nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to say the same thing. My wife actually threw me a big surprise birthday party here in town. 
for my 40th birthday, which was in November. It was just a great party. I just like everybody I loved and knew seemed to be at that party and people that couldn't come. She had like write me like really nice little letters and it was just like a really, really good time. And I had not had like a party at our house like that in a while. So it was just really good. Okay, those are both great ones. If I did something like that for my wife, like I surprised her on a trip, she'd say, okay, who planned this because it wasn't you because you're not that organized. And (laughs) how much were these tickets? Did you get a good deal? (laughs) Right. (laughs) She kept saying, like, were you tempted to figure me out the whole time? I was like, no, there's not too many times left in life, especially the older you get and you have kids and, you know, the hustle and bustle of day to day. There's just not that many things left to be surprised by. No, it's night. Like, if there's a surprise coming up, I like the surprises in life. Yes. I feel the same way as Scotty. When it comes near my wife's birthday, she's always, like, trying to sneak around and, like, find what the heck, or Christmas, what I've got her. But I don't, I want to be surprised. I don't know why she always wants to ruin her surprises. Why ruin your surprise? <laughs> it's like, I can't help it. That's just how I am. I'm like, I'm, just surprise me. I'll take a good surprise. Yeah, I'm with you. Christmas, I never was like, oh, what did I get? Let me go sneak in here and look. I, no, 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 no. I want to be surprised that day. I want that to be the big moment. You know, same thing with spoilers. Ah, no, don't ruin things for me. I want to get the surprise. Right. Yeah. Now, thinking back to when you're, I'll say, between 12 and 14, well, look around your bedroom at that time. What did you have on the wall, pictures or posters, and what were you listening to in your room at that time? Oh, man. I would go through, so I was a big music junkie. So 14 is an interesting age because I had grown up a really big hip hop fan. And then right around 13, 14, you know, that was right when like Pearl Jam and kind of that whole scene kicked off. I was starting to discover that and like that as well. So it was like a hybrid time for me. So, but my walls, you know, I collected Rolling Stone magazine and, and other hip hop magazines. So I would actually go through. And, you know, being artistic, I would just cut out, I collaged my entire walls. And I'd get a new magazine and then I'd cut new things out. There'd be characters of certain rock stars or rappers. I'd put them up on the wall. Or Mine was all over the place. As far as, like, specifically music, that time, like, 13, 14 was around 90, 90, 91. So you had, like, it was a weird mixture of, like, EPMD and Redman mixed with Pearl Jam and... Soundgarden and Helmet. It was like a true melting pot of pop culture for me around that age. I was like really, really, really into like the Smiths and Morrissey. So I had like a ton. I don't have a ton, but I was still in the comics too. So my room was half comic book posters and things that I had just gotten from comic books or like freebie posters that were at the comic shop. And then (laughs) posters of Morrissey and the Smiths. I was kind of a goth kid too, though, so I was like really into like Bauhaus and The Cure. So I think I had some like Bauhaus and Cure posters hanging on the wall too. But as far as comic books go, I still have some of the same posters in my art room now as I did back then. That's awesome. Interesting way of decorating with the collages, going back to that, because I never did that. But my daughter's room in my house, her room was always very clean, very neat. And I closed her door one day. And on the back of the door, it was covered with pictures from magazines, teen idols. It's just the whole thing. I, I, I had no idea. Who knew? It's awesome. <laughs> now, a hypothetical question for both of you. You're stuck on a deserted island, and you can have one book. 
And it doesn't have to be a survival book because you're going to get off the island at some point. We know that. But you need something to pass the time. Something you really like. Something you've read before that you love to read repeatedly or something you've always meant to read. If you could only have one, what would it be? I'm going to say I'd probably take the Sandman series because that's one of my secret shames is I've not actually read through that. Mm, Me neither. (laughs) I'm a huge Neil Gaiman fan. Uh, I've read all his novels multiple times. And for whatever reason, there's a big, huge chunk of books that came out at a time where it was like right before I got into, you know, mainstream comics or whatever. And back before that, it was just Mad Magazine and comic strips and kind of things like that. And then because I came from such small towns, I just didn't have access to this stuff. But yeah, I, I would say if I knew I was going to get off, it, I would probably take something that I need that I want to read. Because some of my favorite books still aren't books that I I, I would want to keep reading. Like I Kill Giants is one of my favorite books ever, but I don't think that I want to be depressed the whole time I'm stranded on the island. Or maybe like Akira. Like if I was going to reread something I, that I love, it'd be like Akira, which I think is like one of the best things ever. I'm trying to think of things that are really long. That's funny because I have never actually, like, I have all the Akira volumes here at my house and I flip through them all the time, but I've never actually sat down and, like, read the whole book. Oh, um, Yeah. So that was one thing that it's strange that Sky just said that because that was one thing I was thinking. If I was going to take something that I needed to read, it would definitely be, it would either be Akira or I need to finish. I've only read about half of Miyazaki's Nausicaa. I would like to finish that. If it was something that I owned and loved, it would probably be like one of the volumes of like the Hellboy short stories or something like that. Oh, that's good. Those are both really good. I haven't read them either, uh, either Akira or Salmon, and I'm sure it's something I really need to read. And I'm slowly catching up on a lot of things that I missed out upon uh, back several years. So they're must reads for sure. They're very good choices. It's a good time right now for Akira because they just released like a 35th anniversary box set of the hardcovers, and it's yeah, that thing's crazy. You know, it's published in the traditional reading format now, and not you know because the Dark Horse versions are. Or the re-release were always they printed backwards, so like American style. Anyway, yeah, so it's a good time to, to jump in there. Hey, go get stranded on an island and take the box set. <laughs> good suggestion. I have another hypothetical. A toy company says, guys, I want to make action figures of you. What would be your accessory? Something that really distinguishes you. What would be my accessory? Aaron, do you have something right off the bat? I mean, a pencil, I guess. Choose. I have kids, so mine would be a 32-ounce Yeti filled with your choice of rosé or wine. <laughs> I have one of those Yetis. <laughs> I didn't want to say that. I mean, I, was, I could say gin, I guess. My accessory is a thing of gin, a glass of gin. But I think, in all honesty, you know, if my action figure needs the things that my true life does, it needs that uh, pencil more than it needs that gin. <laughs> Okay, well, you want into my next question. Your beverage of choice, is it rosé and gin, respectively? For me, the rosé is a f- recent funny thing. So about a year ago, Jason Aaron and I, we, we always, are, we're big red wine drinkers together. And, and all of a sudden, he was texting me. This is before I had moved to Kansas City. He was texting me. He was like, I'm really into rosé right now, which, you know, if, if anybody knows Jason Aaron or his books or what he looks like, the last thing on planet Earth, you think that the sleeved out, big bearded, you know, guy who writes Southern Bastards is drinking is an ice cold rosé. And I gave him such crap for it. We'll be spending all this time out at the pool and it's so hot. Okay, fine. Just give me some of that rosé. And now I've I've kind of switched over. It's not my go-to in a hot day. It's become my go-to during the day. But at night, if you give me my choice, I'm either going to pick a, you know, a nice glass of red wine 
or if I'm at like a really good cocktail bar, like some sort of really well-made kind of whiskey cocktail of some sort. I drink a lot of gin. <laughs> I'm drinking. I'm usually drinking gin. I like like cheap gin. I like like Seagram's, like that old weird 70s looking bottle of Seagram's. I drink a lot of that. I like a lot of IPAs too, so I'll go out and have some really hoppy beers. But most of the time I'm drinking well, and I'm trying to lose some weight, too. You know, if you're drinking gin and soda, is very low calories. Yes. So yep. that's, a, that's a good drink to drink. Yeah, those IPAs can be killers. I love them. And, and some of them are, whew, man, a lot of calories. <laughs> Most definitely. So I'm not drinking a lot of those now. And that was the thing. For a while there, I was even drinking a lot of gin and tonic. But even tonic has, like, sugar. Oh, it has tons of sugar, yeah. Yeah, so I switched over to soda water, and now I can't even drink a gin and tonic anymore it's like this is too sweet (laughs) (laughs) final question for each of you what is the one question that an interviewer has not asked you something that you want someone to ask you something you want to talk about that people just don't know about you doesn't come up in conversation what would that question be and then you have to answer it oh my gosh aaron i'm gonna let you go first Oh, come on. <laughs> I already said that. I told everybody I was a Smith and Morrissey fan. Oh, that's right. He's secret. <laughs> hey, were you at one point a goth kid? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. I saved the toughest for last. <laughs> I think I got mine. Go ahead. Maybe it'll make me think of mine. Mine is... Scotty, tell me exactly what your favorite romantic comedies are. <laughs> and the answer would be, of course, it's Notting Hill. Oh, I don't, I don't think I have anything like that. I don't really watch romantic comedies. As few of those as I've seen, romantic comedies, that one I've seen. <laughs> See? I nailed it. Dang, oh no, man. It is a tough question because I do find that I'm a pretty open book. And any of the embarrassing stuff about me, I usually just go ahead and write in the comics anyway. <laughs> like the Notting Hill thing is actually a question that you probably wouldn't have to ask me because I think I've written Deadpool saying it multiple times, like talking about Notting Hill. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you don't have an answer for that, that's OK. It's a tough one. You said if you're an open book, then I, I don't know. What would, the, what would it be? You know, you talk about everything. <laughs> no, I don't know. I can't think because I think I'm, yeah, I'm a pretty open book and I talk to like everybody about everything all the time. I can't really think of anything that I'm a big vinyl collector. Do you want to ask me about my vinyl? Oh, yeah. How long have you been collecting vinyl now? Before I worked at the comic book store, I worked at a record store for about four or five years. I've been collecting records since 25 years now, probably. Oh, that's awesome. I've got about four of those ikea i don't know if you know what those ikea vinyl shelves look like yeah i've got dozens of them yeah i've got about four of those filled with vinyl wow i'm a pretty big music fan do you have a special turntable for it do you like like high fidelity type sound or is it really the the art of the album covers and i have a technique i got a few years ago that you can actually plug into your computer and record the vinyl on to your computer I don't know what brand it is. Like I said, it's a few years old now, but I always thought that was like super cool about it, even though I've only done that like three or four times. <laughs> I used to have a Technics. I wish I kept it because it's hard to get a hold of them now. And it was like an adult version of the close and play because it had a linear tracking tone arm that just went across the uh, vinyl that way instead of like in an arc. 
to reduce oh, right. the harmonic distortion. And it was it wasn't that expensive, but I unfortunately I got rid of a lot of my vinyl. I still have a few left, but I got rid of it. And I got rid of the turntable, so so I did that. Yeah, and I do still own some goth records and some Morrissey and some Smiths on vinyl. I have a lot of other stuff too. Do you have any rare albums? I actually just got rid of a Counting Crows record recently that was like a four hundred dollar Counting Crows record Ooh. that I didn't even know it was like going for that much. And I got rid of a Travis record because I put stuff up on Discogs and another like known comic artist, this guy Clayton Crane, bought that um, <laughs> that Travis record that I put up on there. And I've got a couple other ones that. Uh, yeah, are worth some money now. I can't think of what they are off the top of my head. I have like a Lady Tron record that's like pretty high up there. And yeah, but I did get, I was like, I don't really need to own this Counting Crows record. So I definitely got rid of that one recently. Why was it worth so much? You know, the late 90s are like a weird time for vinyl. It started to kind of die off and there wasn't a lot of stuff printed during that time high amounts of the stuff there's a lot of stuff now that people are getting back into vinyl that's like people are like really itching for but a lot of this stuff these days like the minute they reissue that stuff the price goes down big time you know it's just one of those records it's hard to find from the 90s and they haven't reissued it it goes for some money are there any vinyl records you're hunting down anything that's on your bucket list your wish list that you want to get your hands on oh so much so much I have too much. I'm like really into like weird Italian prog rock right now. So there's like a ton of Italian prog rock albums I'd like to get my hands on. Do you prefer the sound of vinyl over CD? Can you really hear a difference? I don't ever listen to CDs anymore. So that's not really a thing. And definitely sounds better than, than MP3s, you know. Oh, but yeah. I listen to a ton of MP3s, you know, and Spotify and all that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you will hear more with the vinyl over that. I think people that haven't listened to vinyl, even if they put aside their CDs and they're listening to MP3s and streaming, you'd be surprised how much you're missing out playing from that hard copy or at least, you know, a high res file. Because I've, I've gone back and compared stuff. And I'm like, oh, wow, <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> There's a lot on here that I'm missing now. Sure. Absolutely. Well, guys, thanks so much for spending time talking with me today about your upcoming book, Bully Wars. Looking forward to that coming out September 5th. Everyone should check it out. Thanks so much for being on Creator Talks. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Hey, man. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. And I have another podcast scheduled this Thursday at my regularly scheduled time. Laszlo Tomofsi will join me to discuss his upcoming book, The Observatory, being published through Caliber Press. It contains several one-page Twilight Zone-type stories done by multiple different artists, and they were originally published as flash fiction webcomics. And we're going to talk about what flash fiction is and how these separate stories were united under one framing story. Plus, it contains a prose story in the back, very much along the lines of The Call of Cthulhu. So if you are an H.P. Lovecraft fan and a fan of The Twilight Zone, this is a must-read book for you. So until Thursday, you can follow my podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, and Amazon Alexa devices. Look for my social media posts under Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Creator Talks Pod, especially on Saturdays and Sundays when I post my Saturday Silver Age and Sunday Bronze Age comics from my collection. You can also find my podcasts at my website, creatortalks.com. And if you have a chance, just leave a brief review or just a star rating on iTunes. It's still the number one search engine for podcasts, and it goes a long way to helping this show. Any feedback through social media at Creator Talks Pod is also appreciated. 
for Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time. <laughs>